To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Making it through the week, I hope. I'm making it through. It's just busy here, but that's the deal when it's not hunting season that work and responsibility kind of take over, but uh, all good here. I'm getting out and enjoying myself and getting my workouts in, and it's really looking forward to hunting season here. And So up working on the podcast this morning, and um, yeah, got a great one for you guys. Um, had this conversation with Dirk Durham, and uh, Dirk's a great guy. Gosh, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know him. Um, he's really proficient at calling elk. And uh, that's his expertise. And him and his buddies, they've evolved their system over over years uh, uh, of hunting elk in different states and different places. And uh, it was really fun to, to pick his brain about it and try to, to learn more about it. You guys that know me know that uh, my preferred method for elk is spot and stock. So to get a guy on that knows as much as Dirk about calling elk and to be able to pick his brain and, and kind of figure out his, his theories and ideas on it, uh, was really fun. And I gotta, I gotta put the, the calls back in my toolbox. So use them right under the right scenarios. I, I talk about the scenario that I really messed up last year that you'll hear in the podcast, but, uh, yeah, Dirk's just a, a great guy, really proficient at calling. And so, um, just fun to sit down with him and and uh, get his ideas and his his thoughts on calling out. So I I learned a lot and really enjoyed it, and so I think you guys will too. Uh, sponsor for today's show is Six Hour. Um, Six Hour, uh, they're a great company. So um, you may know them from pistols and rifles, but they also have optics. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna try out. Uh, they got a a mini spotting scope. I'm gonna try. They've got a full size spotting scope. Uh, and they've they've got a full line of, of different binos, um, so so uh, some really good optics. Can't wait to get them in my hands. And the thing that I really know about is their rangefinders. Um, they came on the market with rangefinders. Um, well, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I I heard of them a few years ago. I looked into their rangefinders, and and they're just next level. Um, you know, the, the ballistics that they create for their, for your rifles, um, you know, the calculations, you can get an app for your phone that'll connect to the rangefinder, but they, it'll do a, a full ballistic layout for it. And so for the rifle guy, um, their, their rangefinders are just absolutely off the hook, but they're also good for the bow hunter. Um, you know, for bow hunter, we need accurate readings, which SIG does. We need a powerful laser. Well, you know, some of their rangefinders are going out to like 2,000 yards. Talk about a powerful laser. I mean, that'll shoot through some grass. I mean, that's the deal when you're bow hunting is you're always trying to get ranges and there's always like grass in the way. And um, the, the SIG Sour will do last target priority or first target priority, which um, that way it shoots through that grass and that powerful laser. It just gets through there and gets you good readings and so that's really important to me uh they also have angle compensation which is extremely important for me uh seems like in the mountains i'm always shooting uphill or downhill and if you don't have those cuts um you know it can make all the difference and you can miss that animal so six hour has the has that they have angle compensating and their range finder to be able to give you the 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 true distance or the the angle compensated distance when you're shooting at animals um, just so many great features 
in their rangefinder. Um, uh, just a, a clear readout, clear display. Uh, they're just absolutely top of the heat for for rangefinders. So um, I'm really excited to have them as a sponsor on the show. Uh, so make sure to check out their optics and um, check out those rangefinders. Best on the market. Uh, thanks to Sig. All right. Well, um, let's see. Over there at Eastman's, <laughs> I feel like it's all a blur right now. We're uh, just going so hard, uh, so many different things. But uh, yeah, just just finished a, a really cool article on the perfect hunting arrow. Um, got some really cool photos in there. I'm really getting into the photo editing a little bit more. You know, I've always used the the fairly simple programs that are kind of like um, Instagram, where you can edit your photos, but uh, yeah, lately I've got into in-depth into photo editing, and it's just wild what you can create in photos. And, you know, with this this Sony, um, well, this this mirrorless camera I have, sometimes I'll get spots on it if it's bright or whatever, and I can fix those spots. And you, you can just do so many things with the colors and ranges and just really make your, your photos pop. And you can't turn a bad photo into a good one, but uh, you can you can turn a good one into a great one. So I'm really getting into the photo editing. My point is, is that, uh, trying to edit all my photos here um, a, a little bit better, a little bit more in-depth for the magazine. So I'm really excited to see them come out in print in these pages and, and see what they look like. So been working on that. I am going to get over to the Eastman's office here. i got to hook up with those guys here soon. Um, keep in contact with those guys. i uh, got a podcast coming up here with uh, Scott Reekers and, and uh, gosh, the guys over there at Eastman's. They've just been working so hard to bring this podcast to the next level. And so I uh, just want to do right by those guys as they just believe in me and the podcast and in everything we do, really. The, the Beyond the Grid is great that Dan and Guy put out. And uh, I gave Dan a bunch of footage of my caribou hunt. I'm hoping to see that come together and then be able to offer that to you guys like on a internet uh where you can go see it you know on the beyond the grid that's on our youtube channel um and then just um our hunting tv um hoping to get some hunts approved this year and be able to capture those and put all my effort into those those are really fun seeing those come to come to fruition um God, I don't know if that's quite the right term there, but, uh, you know, have, watch them uh, uh, come to life, I guess would be the right term. Um, yeah, those things are, it's just so crazy to go on those hunts and to be able to capture that footage and then, um, you know, watch the editors and see what they can put together and put together that that story for, from, for you from your hunt. And uh, to be able to show my friends and family and then to show you guys has been really cool. I was really proud of that. Idaho hunt the way that one came out that Dan filmed for me but uh it's just like anything in life just trying to improve and get better and evolve it you know and I it's taken me a while to be able to to tell the story I want to tell I've always thought gosh if I could just film my hunts I could I could show these amazing adventures but it's it's taken years to evolve that to to a place to where I feel like it's it's doing it justice like uh, you got to get comfortable talking in front of the camera and that takes practice and then um you know seeing them come out or being able to edit some stuff together like you start to realize what shots you need and and what shots 
that you have to get, you know, to to put a show together. And and uh, you're just trying to capture all the moments too, all the bad times. I know in my Idaho hunt, showed my truck broke down on the side of the road. I turned off my truck and then it wouldn't start. I had a dead battery. We had to deal with that. But it's just capturing all those little things that that make a hunt. Being able to put those together and then be able to get on on camera and be able to articulate your thoughts and your game plan and and uh, what's really going on and so um that's been really fun i can't wait for this year to put some more stuff together and um just keep working away it's just a a great company i can't thank them enough for all their support um i've been rambling too long let's get this thing rolling this is a great podcast so this is dirk durham and me and uh we're talking elk hunting the whole time so here we go guys All right, I'm live here with Dirk Durham. Um, Dirk, uh, thanks for being on Eastman's Elevator. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. I uh, appreciate the invitation. My yeah. pleasure. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm such a fan. I've been following you on social media as the Bugler, and um, you're part of uh, Elk 101, that website with Corey Jacobs. And um, yeah, you guys are getting after it. Uh, multiple states and uh, really committed to calling and calling in so, and, and harvesting some really mature bulls. It's uh, super impressive to to watch. Thank you, thank you. We sure enjoy, you know, uh, chasing bugling bulls. You know, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat, but but we sure like um, calling them in. So. Well, there's yeah. Well, there's nothing more thrilling than than interacting with that bull, and especially like I've talked to you a little bit, and just the the way you guys do it, interacting, and you guys use all elk sounds, but it it seems like you you like to get that bull angry and and come in, um, get them fired up, and interacting with bulls that way. Gosh, that's the most thrilling way to hunt elk. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a blast, you know, and uh, it seems like if we can interact with the bull and, and, and get him to fight, they kind of let their guard down and we'll come in and, and, uh, they're, they're less likely looking for danger. You know, they kind of flip that switch in their head and, and they want to come over and fight. Whereas if we're trying to appeal to their, their urge to breed, you know, sometimes they can be a little more hesitant and a little more wary of danger. You know, if they're not careful, they could come in on a hot cow and get blindsided by another bull or something. So, so we try to give them a little bit of cow calls, but uh, we really try to push their buttons with challenge bugles and, and raking and such. Uh, well, yeah, that's a uh, that's a. I think that's where I made a lot of mistakes. Like I had really good success with calling and and with cow calls, but that's where I got kind of frustrated as I'd call them in and they'd they would they'd come in on such pins and needles and and really looking for that cow and really tentatively you know and so they'd be facing me or maybe I wouldn't get a shot and I feel like I worked so hard for that opportunity and the bull was just on on such high alert and so like the way you guys are doing it and interacting with them and letting them know there's another bull there it yeah it seems like they kind of they throw caution into the wind a little bit more so than when coming into a cow call exactly exactly Hunt, yeah so- if we can if if we can yeah if we can fire them up and, and just get them to where they're so mad that they just they let their defenses down then then it's it's crazy you know they'll 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 come in you know within bow range and we're able to take them 
Well, and it's um, it's such a great tactic. Well, not only using bull sounds, but just calling, like especially where you're from in Idaho and where you started hunting elk. There really isn't much other option in that thick cover and thick timber where you started hunting elk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here in North Idaho, it's just so darn thick. You know, there's lots of lots of trees and a lot of heavy brush, and you know, uh, you know, spot and stalk would be really awesome to be able to do up here but gosh it's just there's so much so much cover um it would just be impossible to do a spot and stock so you know by by locating them with bugles you know those dense forests you know you can find them and then uh you know make your way to them and if, if they hear you popping brush and stuff they think you're not that elk that's been calling to them so you know you when you try to close that last little bit of distance to them you try to go, be a little bit quiet but but uh, if you make if you slip up and make a, a couple noises, then they, they think you're just another elk since you've been kind of pushing their buttons. So yeah, it's it's one of the better ways to, to, to hunt elk in, in thick cover for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, and um, like you say, sometimes it it covers your sound when you're moving in and when you're making noise. They they actually think you're a herd of elk or an elk, and they don't spook off to where. Um, you know, you just can't elk uh, live in such vast country that you can't still hunt through all that timber and expect to bump into those elk and not move, not be moving and making noise, you know, where they pick you out. So, yeah, it's a great tactic. And and so you guys, you guys are looking for, for the bulls that play and kind of look for a bull that's going to respond back to you. And so um, how do you guys cover country or what's a standard day for you guys like in Idaho or Wyoming or some of these places you hunt? So typically we do a base camp. We don't do a bivy camp too often because we, we cover so much ground. You know, you hate to get up into a canyon somewhere or a drainage and, and find that there's not any elk that want to bugle. Um, you might see some and, and see a lot of sign, but since we do mo- mostly calling, then uh, if we get up in there and, and kind of pigeonhole ourselves and, and find there's no elk that want to play the game, then now we're packing our heavy pack with our camp all the way back out and going to try to go somewhere else so we try to kind of camp centrally with a with a base camp and then we make day hunts from there so we get up you know before daylight head out and uh try to get in an elevated position on a ridge line or whatever and uh to where we can bugle um either down into the canyons or or maybe find a strategic place in in the lower part of the canyons if we're if that's how we have to hunt it from the bottom up and and we're we're looking for for elk that'll that will uh, engage, you know, that'll that'll reply vocally, um, and then we just kind of go from there. Nice. Um, so yeah, that you do cover an extreme amount of country, like you're saying, from a base camp. You know, you can go in all directions or drive your truck five miles up the road and leave from there. But then you're you're covering all this country, you know, throughout that dark and the early morning, early morning light, getting to those ridge lines and making bugles. And then it, it sounds like you guys continue to move country until you find a bull that will, will engage with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if we're not hearing bugles, then we just keep on hiking. You know, uh, we, might, we may hit one drainage or, or basin, and if there's nothing in there talking – We'll hike up over the hill into the next one and then just kind of methodically, you know, uh, just try to eliminate ground where the, there's no elk talking and, and until we can hear some bugle and then, then we'll, we'll kind of close the gap. We, uh, 
once we get one to bugle, then we'll kind of pinpoint where they're at and then we'll, we'll close the distance, you know, quick as we can. We don't, we don't, we don't take our time getting there. We, we get there pretty quickly. Um, and then the last, you know, couple hundred yards, we start slowing down a little bit and quiet, quieting our, our footsteps and, you know, just kind of get into that, that danger zone with them, you know, hundred yards or less even. Um, and, that way we can we can kind of get up close and personal too. That way, their our calls are more effective that way. Oh, like I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make with calling is they get an answer and they just start calling back and forth with that bull because they are so fun to interact with. But calling at those long distances that doesn't seem to be what brings bulls in. I mean, there's exceptions to every rule, but it, it seems like that's not what brings them in. What brings them in is like you getting in tight where you almost force them to fight or flight. Like you're in, you're inside their comfort zone of where their cows are. So I, I really like that tactic. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if, if you're on the other side of the canyon, just kind of bugling back and forth and they feel pretty safe where they're at, you know, a lot of times unless, uh, in, unless they don't have any cows or something and they want to come over to your side. But typically we want to close that gap, get in close and then, um, give them a couple cow calls, quiet cow calls, and then just kind of let them simmer for a little bit and maybe a couple more. And then if the bull vocalizes, then we just hit them with a really mean, nasty um, challenge bugle. And a lot of times that that's all it takes. He'll, he'll come, he'll come right in. Um, other times not. So then, you know, sometimes they hang up and, and they'll stand over there and rake, rake a tree. And, and then we rake a tree and kind of exchange insults back and forth until the bull gets worked up enough and he'll come in. And um, sometimes, you know, he'll, he'll just kind of, most times they'll they'll kind of they'll kind of come out and want to fight because usually this these these areas we're hunting you know they're a pretty pretty nasty country so a lot of times the the bulls will will have made to their bedding ground with their cows and they're a lot more defensive if if you uh, can get them onto their bedding ground because the, the cows are laying down they're not going anywhere and if you can get in close to that they're going to be a lot more defensive so. So that tactic seems to work pretty good. Boy, I'd say so. Like if you get an answer in a drainage, you say you like to cover country fast. You kind of analyze the situation quickly. Will you let those elk sometimes uh, keep moving up and put away to bed before you'll put on the chase? Because it seems like those elk are always moving, especially in the morning, and really covering country. And and it's also where they're really vocal. So will you kind of wait and get a direction of where they're headed or, or try to figure out where they're going to bed when you're when you're looking at making an approach or a play on a bull like that? Yeah, kind of depending on the, the situation, time of day, and, and the thermals and stuff, you know. A lot of times, if if they don't seem to be heading to a, to a bedding ground real slow, we'll try, to, we'll try to catch them before they get to the bedding ground. But a lot of times, they'll just keep going, keep going, keep going uh, to the bedding ground. You know, a lot of people think, you know, oh, I, I'll go out and I'll get these bulls to bugle, and, and all they do is bugle and run, bugle and run. But a lot of times, you know, the elk, they have kind of a preconceived idea where they're going to go for the day. You know, they've, they've been playing all night. They've got a little water. They've, they've been eating. They're going to, they're going to go head to bed. And once they get in their bed, you know, they kind of lay up for a while. So, so if you can go 
and just kind of pace yourself and do a little bit, little bit more of a strategic type of hunt and kind of kind of play your cards tight until you can get close to them in that bedding area, that's that's just a great way to, to get in. And a lot of times you can kill a, a nice herd bull that way. Gosh, it, it sounds like a, like a good tactic. You're right. Sometimes they're not running away from you. They're just being elk and they're transitioning from their, their feeding to their bedding and they'll cover miles or thousands of feet of elevation. And you feel like they're, they're relocating to the next county, but they're, they're just elk being elk. Yep, exactly. Huh. Uh, yeah, that's, that's wild. And so like when you say a challenge bugle, is that, um, so when you challenge bugle, is are you trying to sound like a big bull, like a small bull, not many grunts, or what's that sound like, Dirk? So usually um, a challenge bugle, I don't really worry about trying to sound like a, a small squeaky bull. I usually try to sound like the meanest, baddest bull in the woods because a lot of times those big herd bulls, they have an ego. You know, they're not they're not too worried. Uh, they they kind of know they're they're big. They kind of know they're they're tough, and uh, so we don't really try to cut back and 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 sound like a wimpy bull. You know, I try to give them everything I got and, and make a big nasty nasty bugle, and and it seems to work pretty good. I love the trap you set too, like with those. Like uh, just the way you go about it, like the way you're describing it when you move in close and you make a couple cow calls and then you just wait and you let it marinate a couple more cow calls, let it sit with them a little bit. But you're not just making this all out. I'm a herd of elk right here. Like you're setting this trap. And then after he's heard a couple cow calls and maybe he's responded back, maybe he hasn't. But then that that bugle now, you know, he's heard those cows. He thinks they're his or they think, you know, he's those cows are at least hanging around him. And then that bull is in his territory. I just love the way you set that trap. That makes so much sense in my head. Yeah, I I 100 percent feel like if I can be proactive on on the elk hunt rather than reactive, I feel like the odds are in my favor. Um, If we can be strategic, kind of set it all up and take our time and, and try to make it happen, then then you, you kind of stack the odds in your favor. But if you have to be rea- reactive, it, a lot of times you can't. If you're, let's say, let's say it's a different scenario. Let's say you're, ch- you're following the bull and he's bugling and he just won't stop. And then finally, at some point, he kind of may turn around. That's more of a reactive situation where you may not have a great shooting lane. Um, he may get the wind on you a little bit bit quicker because he's he's kind of maybe a little more suspicious but if you can be proactive and kind of map out your little your little hunt real quick and uh you know position yourself to where you're going to have the best the best thermal winds and the best position on the hill you know we try don't we try not to go set up below the elk we try not to set out up above the elk we try to get on that same level so it's easy for him to come to us um and then, you know, with thermals going up and down generally, if you're on that side hill, you know, you can kind of take take advantage of, of the crosswind, you know. So um, that's what we like to do. 
Uh, that's that. Those mountain winds—they've ruined more hunts uh, than anything else out there, right? There's nothing worse than a good setup or working a good bowl and have those winds switch around. And so, when you guys are weed, uh, reading winds, um, is it something you're always taking note of, like how the winds move up canyons, how the directionals hit the mountains, uh, thermals, which times they're they're changing? Is that all something you're taking into account, or is it just like a wind checker, real time? I'm in this canyon this is what the wind is doing now yeah so we're we're puffing on our wind checker all day really and then we're kind of watching you know watching the sun watching the time of day you know you'll you can you as you know you you can be in the woods and, and as soon as that hill start or the sun starts striking the hill you can start feeling the, the thermals changing you know start rising and so we have to kind of be strategic on that too and have to kind of watch Watch where the the sun's going to hit first, um, and then you know, of course, you're 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 playing the wind with your um, your wind checker all day. But you just it's critical to just obey that wind at all times because um, you just can't fool an elk's nose. No, well, and that's what I'm always trying to do is just like gather a, a better understanding of what the winds are doing. Like you get. You know, directionals uh, that that come in and they usually start, you know, later in the day in the afternoons. They get pretty consistent. But like in a in a mountain range, like there is a dominant wind direction that's southwest. I never do very good like on the north sides because I the wind, you know, it drives to that southwest and I call it the lee wind side and it just gets over there and spins and twirls and it seems like it's going one one direction one minute and then another direction the other minute. Do you guys find canyons that you just can't quite get the wind right? Yeah, I do. There's a there's a canyon in Idaho and I, I swear to god every time I've ever been there I I have bulls bugling down in the bottom. And <laughs> the wind is terrible, and they, a lot of times if you get them, the bulls to bugling a, a bit before you start descending into this canyon, then they will hear you, and they will meet you at the bottom and catch you in the wind. No matter how good, strong of an updraft you got, middle of the day, the, by the time you hit to the bottom of that canyon, because it's really deep and steep, that wind will, will change, and, and they will hear you coming down. Just if you, No matter how quiet you try to be, They'll they'll catch you in the bottom bottom and they'll be standing there looking at you and then they'll they'll finally smell you so <laughs> so yeah it, it's there's some tricky places um, and I find I like I like hunting steep ground a lot a lot better than I do kind of flat country seems like flat country middle of the day the the winds just get wonky okay yeah that's a good tip yeah the steeper the better um, yeah well you can definitely read kind of it's um. It's more predictable that way in those canyons, the way it pulls that wind around. You can kind of get a better feeling of what it's doing, you know. But, yeah, I, I had that lee wind side is always a losing battle for me. I have the same canyon that I I have busted more elk out of that canyon, you know, that I just kept falling in that trap of trying to get down in there and kill them. And then when I finally killed my best bull out of there, you know, it was waiting until they came over to the south side to play on them there, you know, where I had a dominant wind. But, yeah, those – those winds are so oh, tricky, yeah. but but there's there's no better feeling than when you get it right. I bet when you're on that side hill and you're calling to a bull and and you feel like those thermals and directionals are working with you, um, that's what a guy's looking to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really nice to have that that good wind and and keep it uh, while you got a bull coming in. But <laughs> I think I've been messed up so many times on on really big bulls just by 
by the wind, you know, at the last minute, you know, something happens, a little bit of a swirl and game is over. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. That's like, that's the story of my life too. Like uh, a lot of big bulls have caught me because of that wind. Um, yeah, it's either your best friend or your worst enemy. And it seems like more times than not, you know, it's your worst enemy, but it is just trying to get a better understanding of what it's doing. And, and when you understand how the winds work in a canyon, and like you say, you're puffing your wind checker all day long. Well, as you're working up this canyon, you're, you're checking that wind. And as you're working the ridge line, and you start to almost formulate like a map of how those thermal are pulling up and down that canyon how the directionals are working and then like you say you know when you go in on a bowl um how did you put that dirk you said uh not being reactive but being uh, active proactive 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 yeah yeah we, yeah we want to be proactive we don't want to have to be reactive because when you have to react then then the kind of the game is in the bull's hands at that point you know so if you can if you can be proactive you keep you keep calling the shots and setting up the hunt. Whereas if you're reacting, you just can kind of make split second decisions and, and hope, hope to get, to God they're right. So Yeah, so I like that. So you're proactive and so you're choosing where the hunt's gonna take place. You're choosing where you're gonna set up and under which conditions you're gonna try to call that bull in. And like when you get reactive because it's elk hunting and it doesn't always work out and they don't always read the script, <laughs> like sometimes you do get caught in chasing elk, trying to keep with them calling and trying to keep them interested and call them in that way because that works too is to keep pressuring them and, and every elk is different, but you'd much rather have that the proactive than the reactive. Absolutely. Yep. Ah, that's wild. And um and that it seems like a really good tactic for herd bulls too. Like um like you say, they have that ego and they know that they're that herd bull and run those cows and so when you threaten that, you know, that's when he's gonna come defend the harem. Yeah, exactly. It, it seems like once they get get up in that bedding area, they don't they don't want to go anywhere. You know, the the cows will kind of lay down. Of course, the bull he gets up throughout the day and checks cows, maybe goes over and wallows a little bit, rubs his rubs his horns on a tree. But but uh, they kind of stay put for for quite a while typically. And uh, we call it uh, we call it uh, um, midday madness, right? So twelve o'clock, one o'clock, right in there. That's the time you want to be right there in their bedding area, because uh, that bull he's anxious. He's he's tired of laying around. The cows have been there for a while. He's been there. He's he's rested. He wants to make something happen. You come up there and and uh, act like a stray cow and and give him a couple of sweet cow calls, and then challenge him. He's not going to have it. He he's going to come over and want to whip your butt. Oh, I made the the worst mistake on a bull last year. I was hunting with a buddy in the back country and we caught that like middle of the day moving and caught this a nice six point herd bull that was um had his harem but he was just bugling like crazy in the middle of the day and making circles. I think he went down and wallered and and my thought was to uh catch him in the evening. Of course, you know, I'm uh, my preferred method is spot and stalk in the open country, and so I thought in the sure. evening when they come out in this meadow, we're going to roll down in and make a play on them. And so we left that fired-up bull that I'm sure you would have called in at the snap of a finger, you know, <laughs> and we left him bugling like crazy to make a play on him that evening. And we, we did get close. It didn't come together. But I, I sure made a mistake on that bull because, like you say, that was that midday madness that you're talking about. Right, right. It seems like the last few years, the the elk we've been successful in calling in and, and killing, and 
you know, it's been in the middle of the day or even later in the afternoon. Um, the, the morning, the morning bugle game doesn't seem to, to work as, as well for us as, as midday or later on. So, wow. So you guys, but you know that, go ahead, Dirk, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but you know that, that, uh, that's not always the, the case as far as, uh, how we, we call bulls in, you know, uh, for instance, this year in Idaho, um, I had a bull come from way across this big Canyon. I uh, located him from a long distance and, and closed the gap. And it took about an hour and a half of just descending down from the top of the ridge down into where it, I thought he was at. And I gave the, the two or three little cow calls because I thought he was going to be right there in his bed and, and uh, nothing. So I gave a couple more and nothing. And then finally, I thought, well, I'll bugle. So I bugled and he answered and he was still across this big canyon. So I thought, shoot, man, what am I going to do? Um at this point I was kind of committed, you know, it's quite a ways down into this big drainage. So I started, I started kind of pushing his buttons a little bit, started calling to him and, you know, just, I would, I would lead with a cow call. I'd, I'd cow call a few times and I, and wait for him to bugle. And, and then I would bugle back at him, but I would kind of wait that same amount of time that it took him to reply. If you know what I'm saying. Um, I didn't want to rush right into challenging him right away i wanted to let the the anticipation and kind of let his temperature build so so we kind of exchanged bugles back and forth little by little like that and and so i during that time i kind of descended down another probably quarter mile and uh i kind of found a good spot i thought well you know if i could get him to come across to here um you know i might have a a, an opportunity to shoot him if he because it was a real nice real nice shooting lanes, nice big timber. So during that time of me uh, descending, he actually came out of the little pocket he was in and come right out onto an open ridge straight across from me. And his his urgency between bugles uh, increased. So I could tell he was getting worked up. So as soon as he got out on that on the, the ridge point over there, then that's when I started my, my challenge bugles. So every time he would answer my cow call, I would just walk all over him with the meanest nastiest bugle you ever heard and uh two or three of those and then all of a sudden he quit bugling i thought well man he's either lost interest or he's coming well next time i heard him bugle he was down in the bottom down at the creek i could just barely hear him i thought oh man he's coming and then he bugled two or three times and then now he's at the bottom of the ridge that i'm on and here he comes climbing up the ridge and he just kept bugling over and over again screaming up the hill so if he comes in straight i got a perfect shot if he comes over to my right i've got a perfect shot if he goes to my left he's going to go over into an alder thicket and you know how alder thickets are there you can't hardly get an arrow through there and and then bulls a lot of times will kind of hole up in those alder thickets and then you know you sit there for an hour or two trying to get him to come out and it never works out but but he circled up through that alder thicket, and then he kind of popped out right above me, right behind this big tree. He, and he's kind of looking through the branches, trying to find that bull that's been messing with him. And he's kind of scanning, kind of scanning. And, and uh, I'm ready to draw my bow as soon as he, as soon as he takes a step and hides his eye behind that tree. And, and so he takes a step. I draw my bow, and then he pokes his head and neck out the other side of the tree and kind of looking. He looks, burns a hole right through me looking for that other bull. And he kind of looks through me, looks around, kind of scans a little bit side to side, and he just walks right out. 
I thought, oh, man, I got you, sucker. But the problem was uh, the huckleberry brush. It's this brush that has this, these little berries on them, and it's probably about four feet tall. Well, I can't, I can't, I don't have a shot. So this time he's probably like at 12 yards. Well, he walks up to about 10 yards and starts raking a tree. So he has his head down, and he can't see me because there's so much of that brush. So I let down with my bow and kind of sneak sneak sideways there, and then I get to where I can see good and draw my bow back, and I, I can see his, his shoulder. I take a shot. It's probably 10 yards, and I shoot. He kind of jumps a little bit, runs up the hill, looks around, takes off running, and crashes at about 40 yards away or so. I'm like, holy cow, did that just happen? I was just scared to death to even move or breathe. <laughs> oh, that's so intense. Yeah, that's why we love oh. elk hunting. That's fun. And and 10 yards like that. And then to see them drop, they're, they're such hardy, tough animals. And so when you make that that perfect shot and get rewarded with watching them fall, that's um, – that that's a pretty cool moment, and what a nice bull too. I saw that one from this year, that uh, real dark, heavy horn six point. It was just a great Idaho bull. Yeah, yeah, he was an old timer. His teeth were all worn down, and and had these great big bases on him, real massive, and just beautiful dark horn bull. It just it was a it was a dream come true. It was a perfect day in the elk woods for sure. Oh, that's so cool. Well, and then um, you spent the night with him too, didn't you? Yeah, so <laughs> an embarrassing story. So the day before, I had hiked in and hunted hard and then hiked out in the in the dark for an hour or so, got back to my pickup, took my headlamp off, my flashlight out, set it on the seat of my truck. I thought, well, I should put that in my pack, but I'm tired. I'll just get it in the morning. So fast forward to the day I shoot the bull, which was the next day, and uh, I get this bull all worked up. I got him all quartered up and hanging in a tree. And I thought, okay, it's just getting dark now. I'll get my lights out and I'll uh, load, take a load up the hill, walk out in the dark. Well, I get to looking and I can't find my headlamp or my flashlight. Well, it's on the seat of the pickup still. So the only thing I have with me is a uh, is my cell phone and it's only about half charged. And it was really treacherous getting down in there. It snowed about a foot up on top of the hill there. And it was super steep and vertical, and I had to use trekking poles to get down there. It was just so so steep and treacherous. So there was no way to, to try to come out of there in the dark without maybe injuring myself. So I thought I'd better just just hunker down for the night and and uh, build a fire and uh, weather weather the storm. <laughs> oh, I was prepared though. Yeah, you know, I, could, no. I could build a fire, had yep. good rain gear and stuff. Smart decision, yeah. That, um, yeah. Well, and you're faced with uh, difficult decisions in the backcountry a lot of times, and and you sure can't make the wrong decision, like you say, heading out at night. That timber is so dark, you know, when the sun's up, uh, when the sun's down, it is black. You can't see anything, and like you say, treacherous getting down in there. So those, that's one of those times where you're faced with that tough decision, and so yeah, you just call whoever's expecting you your family and just say no i'm i'm sleeping on the hill tonight it's never very comfortable without a sleeping bag but with a fire and like you say the the right clothing uh definitely survive and make the right decision yep exactly yeah good for you what a what a great bull and great story yeah that's what elk hunting's all about yeah yeah it took three days to pack him out it was a pretty rough go and i i uh finally got it packed up and and i headed home and i got home and 
I looked at my wife and made a face and she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, ah, I want to go elk hunting again. I need, need to get back out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was lucky. My, uh, one of my coworkers, he still had an elk tag in his pocket and, and, uh, him and I and his, his 10 year old son, we went out and chased elk around for his last day to hunt. And he, he was, at, he was actually lucky enough to get a nice bull too. So but what a perfect season. Boy, I'd say, yeah, how cool. So you got in on that bull that he killed as well, huh? Yep, yep. How yep, good called, for... called it in, and, and had I had his little boy there uh, beside me. I said, all right, make a bunch of noise, stomp on sticks and break stuff, because, you know, we were raking and trying to sound like a herd of elk over there. And uh, what a what a great experience for the kid. He just had a blast. Oh, I'd say that's so neat. Well, and I can just tell, like I can hear the years of experience when you talk about elk calling and so much of it too is reading that mood of that bull. And just like that bull you killed last year, like nothing makes a bull more, uh, nothing makes a bull angrier than when you cut him off in his bugle. But, but you were playing the long game with that bull. And so you were kind of copycatting whatever he was doing to you and then kind of ramping it up as it went. But it, it sounds like a lot of your success is just reading that mood of the bull and, and kind of reading what he reacts to and kind of what gets him upset uh, and, and what kind of keeps him interested, keeps him bugling back. And then you kind of key in on that and, and then kind of set your trap from there. It's so interesting. But I can hear it as you talk about calling these bulls in. Yeah, yeah. I've you know, been lucky to have a, a, the opportunity to, to hunt elk for a long time. When I was a kid, I started bow hunting elk when I was 15. I didn't even have a didn't even have a, a driver's license yet. My mom would have to cut, take me out in the woods and drop me off or, or sit in the pickup and wait while I chase these things around before school or after school. And uh, I, I really wanted to kill an elk. And my dad, he wasn't a bow hunter. He, he just said, you can't kill elk with a bow. That you just can't do it. And I'm like, well, I, I hear about people doing it, and, and I was really interested in it. So I, he wouldn't buy me a bow. I had an old junkie recurve, and he wouldn't buy me no arrows for that anything either. So, I I worked all summer, saved all my money, bought a bought a brand new compound bow, and bought bought arrows and camouflage clothes. I bought all the gear, and he said, you know, I can I can tell you're pretty serious about this. Um, tell you what if you get an elk then i'll i'll pay you back for all for all the money you've spent for this equipment i was like great that that sounds like a good deal so the third day of season my mom took me out one morning and uh we were lucky we lived lived in elk country so we weren't too far from town and i got this bull bugling not right from the pickup right and uh so him and i exchanged bugles and called him in and and uh, I was able to, to shoot him and and uh, went back to pick up and said, I got him. And she's like, I heard the whole thing. And so she went back back to town and, and grabbed my dad. He couldn't hardly believe it. But he was pretty proud. I think he told everybody I knew about having to pay up for the wager, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great, Dirk. Like um, starting out like that, it, it almost seems impossible, especially for somebody that doesn't bow hunt. But yeah, you're your belief in it and belief in that you could do it and then put the effort forth. And like the way he set it up for you too was to instill that, that hard work and dedication of going after that bull, you know, knowing that 
that you know he wanted you to to go after it, work hard, and try to get a bull. And if you did, he was gonna gonna pay for your setup. But what a great story! Yeah, yeah, and I think you know a lot of folks, you know, they kind of want that quick, that quick surefire silver bullet. You know, what do I do to kill that elk? You know, but you know, it, there's there's a lot of things. You know, elk are kind of predictable sometimes, but they're still elk, right? And the best laid plans of mice and men, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I think, you know, people have to just kind of be patient too. And just, you have to, you have to put in the time and just get out there and hunt them and, and, and know how to react in the different situations and, and understand you're going to screw it up. And, and heck, I still screwed up Corey and I and Donnie, we still screw it up. And, but we, we try, we try like heck not to make those same mistakes, but inevitably it, it happens. So, you know, there's no real quick path to it to the success but you know just just have to stick with it and enjoy the ride oh i'm with you yeah experience is the best teacher and you can definite definitely shorten your learning curve you know by especially with all the information like that your guys's elk 101 website is amazing just for for finding elk country and and making a game plan and really starting off beginner hunters and also experienced hunters just gaining knowledge but um yeah we we all still make mistakes we're just trying to get better and you try to learn from those mistakes and and minimize them but but too sometimes the elk are just going to win they're the ultimate challenge and it's really difficult on on public lands on uh you know with with uh, easy to draw tags and and in public pressure like it's difficult it's really tough it's something you got to dedicate yourself to and, and and spend a lot of time doing and try to learn along the way uh which you you've obviously done but uh yeah it's it's uh, a fun journey isn't it and i think that's why we are drawn to it is because it is so difficult and there is no no right and wrong way. I mean, there's definitely tendencies, but the, there's no hard rules with elk. You know, it's like every scenario, every situation, every canyon is just a little bit different how you play it. Um, but I think that's a lot of the fun, and and I know that's why our listeners love it as well. Yeah, absolutely, I agree, hundred percent. I think I think if a guy can be a little unorthodox in your methods, the better. Um, I've I was I've always had weird ideas about maybe how to get it done. And I always just try them, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather try them, try something and have it blow up in my face than maybe to sit on the sidelines and never try it all. And then have nothing materialize, you know? So, Oh, that's interesting. You're right about, yeah. But I have to agree too with, with the amount of awesome information these days, whether it's podcasts or magazines or, or like the university elk hunting on elk 101, there's just so much more elk hunting content and information out there than we had back in the olden days. Man, it was a struggle. Yeah, it was. I'm I'm just a little younger than you, but yeah, it was a struggle for me growing up too, trying to learn. I I made a ton of mistakes, and there just wasn't uh, there wasn't it wasn't the information day and age that it is now. That's for sure. There's um there there's so many great places to gather information and kind of shorten your learning curve, but it still takes just experience and and drive to get out there. But I think that's really interesting. So it sounds to me like are you describing like um when you say unorthodox, do you mean like out outside the box approaches, or do you mean like you get aggressive with elk and kind of make a plan and see what happens, or what did you mean by that, Dirk? Yeah, yeah. Whether it's let's let's try something weird and different. Let let's say we 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 don't want to hike out of a canyon. We had bulls bugling earlier and we can't find them. And 
they just kind of shut down. Well, you know, we, a lot of times we'll separate and just kind of bugle back and forth at each other. And then sometimes that'll kind of spark, spark a bowl to fire back up again. Um, or, or being aggressive, you know, a lot of folks, I think that maybe their, their biggest downfall is not being aggressive enough. You know, they don't want to screw it up. So, that, so they kind of, they go at it a little bit timidly, but, but we always try to just formulate a game plan real quick and, you know, execute it and not, not really hold back. You know, of course we try to be strategic and make the right moves at the right time, but, but, but to be aggressive and, and to, to get those bulls really mad and, and really push their buttons, a lot of times you have to get right up on them and take chances, you know, um, a lot here, here's a, here's an example. So, uh, let's say we've, we've snuck in and we've, we've got the bull to vocalize. We're by his bedding ground. We've got the bull to vocalize and, <clears throat> but he still won't come and he's raked his horns and we've raked a tree and he still won't come in, but, but he's came quite a distance and it's a lot, there's a lot of heavy cover, but you still can't quite see him. So sometimes I will in fact rip a big challenge, scream at him and run right at him, put like a, a big tree between him and I, and I'll run right at him as close as I can get like to that tree and then stop and then have my arrow knock and be ready. Sometimes when you do that, they'll kind of give themselves up. They'll come out of where they're standing and kind of go sideways and because they want to look and see who you are. It's like, oh, you've made that that uh, effort to kind of show yourself and now I want to see you. So they kind of walk out and, and that's that's helped. That's worked quite a few times. So that's kind of an unorthodox approach. You know, a lot of people would never dream of running at a big at a bull elk because you you're afraid of getting seen. But if you have enough cover, enough timber and and such, then it can work pretty good. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, that's definitely an outside the box tactic that not everybody uses. Um, yeah, uh, sometimes just a different approach. And like you say, that bull's held up. And you can kind of tell that it's not going to happen, and so you're just trying to kind of make something happen, you know. And and I'm I'm with you. Like I hunt elk aggressively. I I always have, and I I feel like that's the best tactic for them. And I I try not to be reckless, and I try not to get my wind wrong. And like you say, I try to make a methodical, thought out approach. But you know, when I see a right. bull, I'm I'm going in to play the game and see what happens. Like you you never kill him just sitting back on a on a far distant peak watching him. Like you got to get in there. And, and try to make something happen, you know. And and two, I like like um, getting close and, and making those bugles to them. Um, it uh, it turns you into like that. That's kind of like a combination between spot and stock and and calling because you you get in close like that and you're trying to sneak in really close to the herd or to the bull, and then you're trying to give them a few cow calls and a bugle. But like you said, you really got to slow down. And once you can't ever. Yeah, I mean, you can tell where a bull's at, but sometimes they bugle away from you and it echoes off the canyon wall. Sometimes they bugle at you, and especially when you're moving with the herd, sometimes it's hard to tell their exact location. You don't know if the bull is in the back of the cows or the front of the cows or where he's at. And so when you start getting close, it is all about slowing down, and you have got to see those elk before they see you or the whole gig is up. And you never know when you're going to run into a satellite bull and sometimes the satellite bulls don't screw everything up, but definitely, like, if you find a, a cow in the herd and you bust her out front, like, the whole gig is up. And so I, I 
I like that approach of just really getting in close, setting the trap, and then making the calls to him. I, I think that's uh, such a great tactic. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, if we're a mile away or half a mile away from the elk, uh, we get clo- we, we, we close the gap quickly, quick as we can. But like you say, once we get into that that danger zone where you start might thinking or you you think you may, you know, bump them, just slow way down, you know, and then quieten down, slow down, start looking for a good shooting lane, start looking for good places to set up with a little bit of maybe a little bit of topography where maybe they'll have to walk over. The bull would have to pop up over a ridge and walk and expose himself to actually see the other elk. You know, you got to be strategic on your setup, too. And uh, and that's what it's all about. Okay. Yeah. So on your setup, like as you're moving in close, you're reading the landscape and and, uh, the topography as you're coming in. And then you're trying to make a set where that bull comes. I I like uh, like what you said, like about the ridgeline. I used to set up that way, too. And so you're set up to where when that bull shows himself on the ridgeline, you got a shot or coming where the bull's got to come over top the ridge to look for where the cows are, where your calls are coming from. Um, also like you never want to call, I, I mean, you, you, I guess you never say never when you're hunting elk because they can do anything, but like from the edge of a meadow where that bull can look over and see that there's no cows, he's not going to come across that meadow to come check you out. You'd rather be tucked back in that timber a little bit. And so you're constantly analyzing for the right setup as you're moving in as well. It sounds like. Right. Right. Yeah. You have to set up where the, where the bull has going to have to come close to see you, you know? Um, but you're going to have, it's kind of a balancing act because you still got to give yourself some shooting lanes as well. But I'd, ha- I'd rather have very few shooting lanes, but thicker cover to where he has to come close to see you than to have wide open timber. You know, if you got, if you can see t- 200 yards through the timber, he's probably going to, he's probably going to lock up it, at the edge of the, at, at the edge of the thick stuff and start scanning to see if he can see you. But, but if, uh, if he has to come, you know, less than 50 yards to see you that's that's where you want to be and uh using that using that topography not only um to make them pop up over the ridge to to see you also those little finger ridges sometimes that those things really help out with the wind you know because like you say on the lee side of the ridge might the wind might be terrible but on the side you're on it's still good so we try to set it up to where he has to come across over onto your side where the wind is good Oh, that's interesting. So I like so you that. Can get that shot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I really like that. Yeah, that makes good sense. So not on that. You're, you're finding the the part on the ridge where you want them to come to, where you know your wind's good, where if you went right over the top of that finger ridge, it'd be swirling around and he'd probably catch you in there. Gosh, it's just, it's like paying attention to all those little details, you know, and, and until you get them all right. And then that's when you end up shooting your ball. Right. Exactly. Huh. Got it. And, and a lot of folks, they think, you know, shoot, I've I've had 10 elk bugle and I still have yet to get one to come in. But sometimes that's the deal. You know, you there's every time we bugle, we don't get one to come in. So <laughs> you just have to keep it up. You can't give up. Yeah. Um, believe in your system, knowing that it's going to work, you know, and then, um, yeah, keep hitting the hills and. And and I've noticed too that that elk rut it it kind of ebbs and flows. Like I hear people talk about 
you know, the elk aren't fired up yet or, or the elk rut is over. And it's like that the elk rut starts like a, around September 1st to September 5th in pre-rut action. And then it'll it'll go up and hit these peaks and valleys. So it'll hit these peaks where these bulls are going nuts trying to sort out these cows, fighting for them, trying to breed cows. And then you can come back a day later or the next day you think it's going to be the most insane hunting you've ever seen and you won't hear a bugle and you see a bull feeding up on a hillside by himself. He isn't even paying attention to the cows. And so I always say that that rut, it, it just happens in peaks and valleys. And so you just got to weather it, you know, try to keep yourself into elk and, and you know, try not to look too far into it. And I noticed, you know, one herd from the next, like across my valley, you know, one side will be going crazy. And, and, and the other side, you know, which is 20 miles away, those elk won't be bugling at all. So it's it's really herd specific to when those cows are coming into estrus, you know, is, is catching that rut. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how many times that's happened. You know, you'll have a, an insane day of bugling and you think, oh, man, we're going to get right back in there tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. And you get there, there's nothing but crickets. You'd swear an, uh, a spaceship came along and sucked them all up. Uh, there's not an elk to be found anywhere. It's so crazy. But uh, that there again, that's why we try to stay so mobile because, you know, if you're committed, you know, for our style of hunting, if we're committed to, you know, hiking in one direction 10 miles and having a camp set up and, and the elk quit bugling, well, we're going to have to change our tactics. So, um we prefer to, to kind of be mobile and and uh, not have not hunt quite so deep, but hunt lots of different places. So we get into our spot. There's no elk bugling. Bam! We pop out of there. We may drive 25 miles the opposite direction and uh, start again. And the elk may be on fire there. So you just never can tell. You just gotta keep going and keep theorizing of where the elk are and 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 what they're doing, and eventually you'll run into some rut and bulls. And the the best case scenario, like um, you know, I'll find singles, uh, you know, like a like a single herd bull with some cows and maybe a satellite or something. But for me, like I'm looking for that elk party. I'm looking where there's a bunch of different bulls and they're sorting it out, and a bunch of cows, you know, where that 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 mass of elk is and it seems like that's when i when i really make it happen you know is when i'm in the elk party like that so that's that's what i'm traveling around looking for is that you guys too i mean looking for a bull to respond i guess but that that elk party seems to be like uh where i find most of my success do you guys find success in that as well yeah yeah we do because you know if if you have multiple bulls bugling in an area then uh you know, Murphy's Law says you're going to screw it up a couple times. So <laughs> it's always nice to have a, a, a target-rich environment to where you can you screw it up on one and, and spook them away. You'll have another one to maybe chase around. So, that's so why yeah, I, we're always looking for that. That's why I like it, too. Yeah, you mess up on a bull, and then there's another six-point over on the other hill or another herd there, you know, and it – it seems like there's a lot of communication back and forth. Like there's usually a lot of rut action, you know, when there's multiple bulls, uh, there's competition for those cows and it seems like they're back and forth, you know, and, uh, kind of easier to locate and easier to get on. But yeah, I'm, I, I'm always looking for the party on those things to get in. And then, and then it sounds like, um, so you, uh, use Phelps game calls. Is that right? Yep. 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 And use then the, uh, Phelps, game calls yep and then you have a read that's uh either out or coming out this year that you designed yeah i worked with jason phelps to design this uh elk diaphragm read um it's called the maverick so we collaborated on this thing and he sent me 
over a dozen different uh, diaphragms of different various thicknesses of latex and different stretches. And, and we wanted to kind of find out what I liked and then kind of narrow it down from there. So um, after lots of trial and error and, and testing and a lot of torture testing, if anybody follows me on Instagram, they've probably seen a lot of my crazy little torture tests and silly things I put on my, on my Insta story. And uh, anyway, after a few months of uh, messing with it, we got it dialed in and, and man, that, that thing sounds awesome. It's just, you can, you can really rip, really rip some mean bugles with it. Oh, good lows and good highs on it. Yeah. Yeah. You can really hit those high notes and, and it's loud too. So a lot of times I, I blow hard, right? I'm a hard, hard caller. So a lot of times I'll have a, a call, maybe stall out a little bit or, or I have to kind of hold my, my air pressure back because I'll, I'll make it distort by overblowing it. But this call, man, you can just blow on this thing for days. And <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't distort. So oh, I'm right. really, really happy with how it turned out. Right on. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to pick one up, Dirk. And not like I'm I'm such a spot and stock hunter, but you've got me convinced like I need to put that bugle back in my toolbox, you know, for the right situation like that bowl I messed up last year that was so fired up in the middle of the day, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I need to mix oh, and man. match a little bit more of that for sure. Oh man, yeah, that, I would, I would kill for that. Just having a bull bugling out of his bed like that—that's that's textbook scenario. <laughs> oh, it, and it was even better than that. He was bugling like a madman and racing circles around his cows and racing around bugling. It was the perfect chance to call him in, you know. It, uh, yeah, it, just one of those wrong reads, and you get so stuck in your ways and in your system that works. But yeah, I definitely got to have a a bugle in my toolbox next year in a cow call and kind of get back to it a little bit. Um, it's really fun talking to you. I have such great insight into calling elk. Um, you definitely got me fired up for elk season. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Now I'm all pumped up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, Dirk, to, to meet you. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, you guys have that great elk uh, website, the Elk 101, which is just a great resource for guys. Uh, Phelps Game Calls, check that out. And you're the, the bugler on Instagram, right? Yep, yep, the bugler on Instagram. Yep, perfect. Well, um, thanks so much, Dirk, for taking the time. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure, and I always love to talk elk hunting, so maybe we can do it again sometime. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to take you up on that, so thanks, Dirk. You're welcome. All right, that's a wrap. Uh, another podcast in the books. Just a great one with Dirk. Uh, really fun. It's got me fired up for elk season. Oh, man, oh, man. Um do I want to have a good elk season this year? I just want to take my elk hunting to the next level. I, I've started to apply in more states. I used to used to just kind of travel around hunting mule deer, and, and, and mule deer is definitely my passion. I love to hunt those high country mule deer, but, man, when it's September and those elk are calling, there is nothing funner to be, you know, there there's nothing I'd rather be doing than hunting elk and focusing on elk. That's all I can think about. Uh, so it, it's... Uh, it's got me fired up, you know, not only this podcast, but just uh, the the last couple seasons and, and this year, you know, I, I'm just, um, I'm going to be hunting some new spots this year, applying in different states, and um, I just can't wait. I want to put some big six points on the ground, and definitely this podcast is going to help me out. I need to start carrying some calls with me more um, and, and have that option with me to, to be able to call in these elk and, and hunt some of these timbered spots, and I love that he can hunt them 
all day you know throughout that middle of the day they continue to push and put on miles and try to get an answer and work those bulls and in a lot of times the middle of the day you know, I'm still hunting trying to be effective but um, I, I could definitely be more effective more efficient take uh, take a page out of Dirk's book and and uh, do some some running and gunning and some calling in the middle of the day so I'm definitely going to incorporate more of this into my elk hunting um, I learned a ton. Just a, a great guy. Um, sure appreciate him being on and sharing all this great information. Uh, make sure to check him out on all his platforms. Uh, he's on Instagram as the Bugler, and he does a lot for Elk 101, uh, which is a great website. And then, um, let's see what's uh, some other platforms Dirk's on. He might be on. I didn't. I didn't check to see if he's on Facebook. But Instagram's a great place to reach him. He's got a great page uh, with a, a bunch of really good posts on there. So. Uh, make sure to check them out there, and and uh, yeah, I just always like the the support you guys give to the guests that you like, uh, reaching out to them and telling them they did good on the podcast, or thanks for being on, or thanks for sharing it, that information. That just means the world to me. It just it gives our podcast weight that that these guys are are reaching our audience, and and uh, you know, there's so many different podcasts out there now, and, and guys hitting up um, you know really good guests like Dirk um, that. You know, I I think they they get they get asked to be on a lot of podcasts, so it's nice when they're on ours that they feel the support and get the support. So that's what we want. So um, thanks a bunch, guys, for for always supporting the podcast. Um, I, I try to make sure I mention that every podcast, and it it uh, I may sound like a broken record, but I really do appreciate it. It's just um, it's it's surreal sometimes when I when I've been able to create this podcast, and gosh, we're 86 87 episodes deep and and able to get support from from eastman's and then support from you guys that that like the podcast and reach out with questions and um it it really is surreal i i couldn't uh i couldn't have dreamt this up just a a couple years ago so it's been so fun to to be able to jump on this platform and share my thoughts with you guys and just try to make uh everybody better hunters and and uh you know try to incorporate hard work into the podcast well just everything i believe in um so this has been really fun so thanks again you guys uh let's see sponsor for today's show was sig sour um gosh you get me on a mic and i start getting off topic pretty quick pretty soon my intros and endings are going to be an hour along with the podcast but sig sour was our sponsor for today's show uh sig sour optics um, again, I'm going to try out, they've got a full size spotting scope, a mini spotting scope, uh, different lines of binos. So I can't wait to get those in my hands here for bear season and give them a try. Uh, the thing I do know about is their range finders and their range finders are just incredible for the rifle guy. They, they offer so much, um, you know, uh, and, and then also for the, for the archer, for the archery guy, uh, they have everything we need with a powerful laser, uh, angle compensating, um, accurate readings, uh, fast readings, you know, they get back to you quick when you click the button. So uh, just building great range finders. Um, so make sure to, to check those out and check out six hour. And thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. And, um, yeah, with the Eastman's guys, just got to get together with those guys and record another podcast. Things are going smooth, though. You know, we kind of got this podcast off the ground, and um, they know I'm busy with construction and everything I got going right now. And so uh, we're just all working away, and I just turn in my stuff on time, and I hear from them, you know, once a week or so or a couple times a week. But, uh, yeah, they, they kind of, um, you know, we've kind of created the 
the format for the podcast and I've got things rolling now and so I can just jump on here and and uh, get one produced up and get it get it loose to you guys and so it's uh it's really been effortless uh, no that's not the right way it's, it's been uh it's been smooth sailing um as far as the podcast as we really got it dialed in and figured out our our whole system here so um that's been going good and uh yeah again just um fired up about life just uh fun right now um building houses and and uh busy with construction but that's good i gotta i gotta pay my taxes and um it's tax time right now if you guys didn't get that it's 411 today and i think they're due this year on 418 so got my taxes all figured out and just got to pay my fair share and go try to make some more. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll get that all paid up and um, busy at construction. And, and uh, bear season starts up here the 15th. Huge snow year this year. So we're going to wait a little bit here until it turns on. And, and uh, been getting back into shed hunting. I wish I could go harder at it, like go those weekdays or go for four days a week or whatever. But it's just not in the cards right now. Just trying to balance everything with family and work and everything I got going but at least I'm getting out like at least one day a weekend where I can just go hard in the mountains and it's like an expedition you know when I'm going it seems like horn hunting I mean you can find easy ones I guess I I never seem to so um I I always have to I mean it's an absolute mountaineering expedition especially with the deep snow this year um I got these new skis they're so killer they're like this all-terrain ski um they've got you know, they come with a skin on the bottom of them and you can just cruise snow. And, you know, uh, like a lot of these bulls will go up in the snow up where they bed in deep snow, waist deep snow. But a lot of times, like I'm just trying to get to the features that are windblown and trying to use my public land. Well, I got to go, you know, around the private or around a feature, whatever the case is. And the snow's so deep, you know, I couldn't make it into a lot of these spots with the heavy snow this year. But I got these new all-terrain skis that you just sit on top and you can go uphill like a 20 degree slope in these things 30 degree slope zigzag back and forth they just hook onto your boots which is cool so you can just take them off and hike throw them on your pack and um they uh they're really cool i like them uh it leaves a little bit to be desired on the downhill. They are a little bit sketchy on the downhill. You kind of got to pick a diagonal angle and kind of head down, but you just don't have control of your edges. And I've skied my whole life. Like I'm used to facing gnarly downhill and cutting the skis loose. That is not the case with these things. They're a tool to get through deep snow and they're, like I say, an all-terrain ski. But man, I'm going to use them for like that late Idaho deer hunt, the deep snow, and like if I drew another New Mexico tag down there off that border of Colorado, there's a bunch of snow there. You can just cruise on snow. And and even like September, if we get a big snow, like a foot snow, I'm using those skis. So anyways, new tool in my toolbox that I'm pretty psyched about, so I've been using those. But yeah, just getting out to the mountains, um, horn hunting, been finding a few, uh, been getting blank too. That's all part of it. Um, amazing. You're just in the right spots around bulls and walking beds and feeding features. And, um, I swear sometimes aliens come down and pick up those horns, <laughs> but, uh, it's just competitive. There's a lot of guys doing it. And so maybe guys get in there before me. I haven't seen many tracks, maybe one track in the mud in this spot, but, or the bulls just drop in a different spot that you're not walking. Just got to keep walking around and cruising. But it's been really fun. Fishing is just red hot around here right now. Um, 
So just trying to get out evenings and weekends and take care of my responsibility, but uh, all good here. Um, I'd like to get out turkey hunting here. It's been a lot of years since I've been turkey hunting, so I might do that this weekend. But uh, anyways, I've been rambling forever here. Um, That's the podcast. Um, Yeah, Eastman's Elevated, Dirk Durham. Thanks again for him being on. Just great information and um, yeah, guys, keep working hard towards your goals and, and, uh, hunting season's coming and that hard work, it pays off. And, um, so that's, that's what I'll be up to. Uh, running's just been going great lately and training's been going great. I just feel really healthy and really strong. So, uh, couldn't be better on my side. Um, get this thing out to you guys and then I'll, I'll check in with you next week.